welcome to The Coaching Question. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how to commission it, when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. And it really has been a conversation this week. We were really lucky to be joined by two fantastic supervisors, Eve Turner and Carol Davidson. We we introduced them in the podcast. I think we have definitely achieved an honest conversation, don't you think, Sarah? I do. It's brilliant to hear two different perspectives and two different dimensions, really, thinking about um, working with internal coaches and working with external coaches and the learning and the the safeguarding and the ethics, all sorts of brilliant topics that were covered. So enjoy this podcast on coaching supervision. So we are really lucky to be joined in this conversation today on coaching supervision by Eve Turner and Carol Davison, two really experienced coaching supervisors. In fact, Eve is the author of many books on coaching. Her first book was The Heart of Coaching Supervision, Working with Reflection and Self-Care. She's also the chair of my professional association. And Carol Davidson is a hell of an experienced supervisor who is also an assessor of coaching supervisors. So I feel really privileged and lucky to have these people on this call today and that they are giving their time uh, to share their knowledge. Our question today is what exactly is coaching supervision at its core and why should anybody commissioning coaching be bothered if a coach is in supervision or not? So maybe I can start with you, Eve. How would you answer those questions? Well, I think it's a really good question. And it's the one I'd be asking if I was spending money on it. I started my life, and I suppose this is relevant, as well, while I was a senior executive in the BBC, I started my coaching life as an internal coach working with senior leaders. And one of the things I remember really well, and I did my first 250 hours as an internal coach, was the challenge of being in an organisation and not being sort of taken over by some of the patterns and themes and working practices so that I could end up colluding with some of the people I was working with simply because I sort of understood and got their issues. So I think it's really important to be able to stand back and to look at our practice with some dispassion, if you like, that practice of standing back. So if I was to just quote a couple of definitions of coaching supervision, it's a process to improve the quality of our coaching. That's true. To grow our capacity as coaches and support ourselves because coaching can take us to some difficult areas. But this is really important. It should also be a source of organisational learning. And if you imagine, many organisations have a lot of coaches coming into their organisations. They're all doing separate work. If you join this together, not breaking confidentiality, each coach may only work with a few people, but when they're brought together in supervision, there's an opportunity to harvest that learning and feedback themes to the organisation. That might be about stress, it might be a safeguarding, it might be ideas for improvement, but there's so much added value that supervision can provide alongside the support to improve the coaching and make sure it's delivering value. Great, thanks Eve. And Carol, you work a lot with internal coaches, don't you. Yes, I do. And I think for me, sometimes what is important that they have the opportunity to, to celebrate and explore their coaching work together. And sometimes in an organisation, they don't necessarily get that opportunity when they come together. And, and some of the sort of peer supervision that is going sort of on within organisations, a lot of the time they're really sort of co coaching as buddies. 
So we don't necessarily get the sort of theoretical supervision models that can be used across their practice. But I think I've found that sometimes working with uh, internal coaches, if they're not having the opportunity to go to supervision, that they come with a fear sometimes of disclosure of of what's going on because they know other people within the organisation. So there's sometimes the potential to compromise, particularly if it's an internal person that's working with a coaching group. So they may well know the, the coach's clients and coaches, and it you know it, it can be difficult when they're part of that same system. What comes through for me there is the fact that if you're not in supervision, you don't really have a place where you can really learn, you can really deeply explore what's going on. But also, you don't really have a safe place to explore those things. No, and I think that's the case. There's nobody there to sort of sit with you and reflect on that work that you're doing. I think also that the development needs of the coaches across the organisation as a whole can be very individualistic. If they're not in supervision, so you don't sort of get the themes coming through that need to be identified in terms of the coaches uh, and their development needs. So, Carol, do you tend to work with one organisation and support all of the internal coaches within that organisation or would they have different supervisors? Um, No, I think um, I, I do a lot of work in the public sector and over the last few years they they've started growing their internal coach participation in, in, a, in quite a big way but a lot of them initially weren't in any supervision so they sort of buddied up but what's happening now is they're looking and obviously cost does play a part in this but they're certainly looking for external people to help with group supervision so they can bring a number of their coaches together. So although they might have a peer supervision group within their own organisation, there's no external input. So they've started to bring sort of external supervisors in to to supervise a group. And occasionally I do one-to-one supervision with individuals where particularly they don't want to bring something to that group. And I think that's Mm. important thing to raise sometimes in terms of ethical boundaries because they know the other coaches who know the possibly the, the client that they're working with so they haven't quite got that confidentiality that they would get in a one-to-one supervision mm-hmm. relationship. We should make that distinction for our audience which is there's one-to-one supervision and there's also group supervision and they bring different things and you can get more learning often in the group supervision certainly if you're looking for themes but if you want real confidentiality and to be totally vulnerable often you you want that one-to-one supervision relationship and the other thing that popped up was we are really focused i suppose we're, we're british eve you've got more of an international perspective i think about international listeners I think the UK are probably near the forefront when it comes to supervision. I know that supervision was really not a big thing in the US and it's only in the past couple of years really that it's come to the fore. I I think that's true and it would vary across the world. Um, In some parts of the world, there are legal reasons why they don't like to call it supervision because it comes with legal responsibilities, the US being one of them. And it's still developing in places like Australia and Asia. So you're right about that. But I think the need is really the regardless, and particularly to safeguard organisations themselves. 
because there are a lot of factors that go into supervision. If I was to, you know, watch supervision, what do we do in a supervision session? There are probably three elements we're working on. One is we're looking at the quality of what we do, and that's sort of clear. We're looking at, are we practising ethically? Are we are we aware of our own blind spots? You know, the things that we're not seeing and we're not hearing. And then, you know, for internal coaches, Carol's referenced this, it may be the only form of self-development they get. And just as leadership, you know, if we're working in HR or L&D, we see that leadership is a journey for our leaders. Well, coaching is a journey for our coaches and they need to have some support to continue their development. And that's another function of supervision to help them along the journey. And then finally, what may get forgotten is that people can come to supervision having had sessions with clients where, I mean, an obvious example would be they've burst into tears. They've had clients who have been traumatised. They've heard things that they wouldn't normally hear in everyday life. So not only is there the, the trauma of that, which they may feel themselves because we sort of feel vicarious trauma but also there's then the issue of at what point should they be disclosing that to the organization and so I feel that coaching supervision is a safeguard for organizations. Right now one of the things is coaching for people who are in the front line in the fight against COVID Mm. and supporting those people who may very well have been very traumatized you're helping the coachee deal with the trauma but how do you deal with the trauma that you're hearing about and the impact it's going to be having on you in, inside, which is going to affect the quality of your work? And if you don't have supervision, how can you actually deal with that? How can you improve? How can you build resilience into the system such that everybody's getting better coaching? And you know, that's such a good point, Gregor, because I'm currently supervising coaches who are working in the NHS and working with a lot of staff who are uh, involved in COVID-19 from porters to nurses to doctors. And that is just a really important point that everyone needs a place to go. And I have had coaches in those sessions who are in tears themselves. Mm. But also on the other other side, there there can be an assumption that it will be traumatic. And it's also a place to share do you know what? My uh, my client, the person I'm coaching, just told me they were really bored because actually what's happened is their work is just the same every day. They're not getting interesting operations to do. And it's a whole range of things. It's dealing with our assumptions as well. It's a place to go to share anything and to not feel judged. So in the same way as the strengths of coaching is that you're allowing somebody to explore things without judging them. You may be challenging them, but you're not judging them. That's also what we can do in supervision. It's a place not to be judged, to be able to bring anything, as Carol said, and it may be the only place they can do that. Mm. And, I, and just to build on that, Eve, I think that's those are some really powerful messages there around it's a place for me to go as a coach where I don't feel judged and to have somewhere for me to go. Because when I think about those three core purposes of supervision that you raised there around the ethics, helping the coach on the journey and then dealing with the trauma of what we're hearing in the session, I've experienced all of those. And I think in particular, if I hadn't had supervision, I wouldn't be the coach that I am today. So it's been fundamental in supporting me on that journey, on that development for all of those reasons. I'm just thinking that if somebody's not had any prior experience with coaching supervision to to make it incredibly concrete for them with some examples 
So I can think of, here, I'm coaching in an organization. It's a reasonably senior leader, and we've contracted for eight sessions. I think we were about the end of session two, and I was really struggling to challenge this individual. So that means that we weren't weren't going to move forward in that coaching relationship, and the leader was not going to deal with what the company was paying for. But for some reason, I could not challenge that guy. Eve, you probably don't remember it, but it was a coaching supervision I had with you. And it was only through that conversation I discovered that this guy reminded me of my dad. Mm. And I had transference issues. And the reason I couldn't challenge him was because my dad was there. Mm. But it was only through that conversation that was unlocked. And then we moved forward really rapidly. And so the, the client and the client organization were getting what they needed, but they wouldn't have got it unless I'd been in supervision. I think that's a great point, Gregor. And if I could just open it out, I think that one of the questions, because I work systemically, one of the questions I like to ask people I supervise is, how have stakeholders in the organization benefited from the supervision? So I do evaluate the impact of the supervision work on what the organization is benefiting from, because I think that's really important. And I'd just like to give you a couple of my worst experiences. So I won't say whether it's as a coach, as a supervisor, but it is internal coaching. So boundary management contracting is really important with the organization and with the individual. So the first one was the coachee telling the coach confidentially they wanted to leave the organization and asks for help in preparing to do so, when the organisation thought the coaching was about helping the client um, with their delegation. And the thing about this situation was this person, the client, was the only person in the whole of the UK who could work on this particular project, which was a multi, multi million pound project. And there you are, you're the coach, internal coach, you're sitting opposite the client, you know from your own personal experience that if this person was to leave, the organisation would literally fall apart because this is the biggest technical project they've had. And what do you do? And if you don't have anyone to talk to, you don't want to break confidentiality, what do you do? But that was just a real example of something that happened. I could also tell you, if it comes up later, what the real issue was, but that was only found out through supervision. Carol, you must have lots of examples to do with boundary management. That's that's right. And, you know, I I do personally feel that uh, as internal coaches, that they really come up against the ethical boundaries, more so than external coaches, because the the, the parity that's going on within the organisation. And I can think of a, a case where... I was working with one of the coaches and their uh, client had sort of finally opened up to them about some bullying that they were encountering. And it turned out that the person that was being named as the bully was a very close friend of the sort of coach that they'd come to with this information. So there was a huge ethical boundary as to the confidentiality and how that was going to be handled. But that coach came to supervision with me. Um, We discussed about how we really needed to get other people involved and that it, it was really a conflict of interest for her because of that personal relationship. And obviously that can happen with external supervision as well. But for her, it was very much about 
a shared assumption of, of what was going on with that coach, which actually wasn't accurate. So it wasn't until we took it away and took it somewhere else uh, and she was able to, to discuss in confidence how that was making her feel as a coach that she had the, the confidence to go back to that individual and talk about how they were going to move it forward. It really brought it home to me in terms of their ethical boundaries yeah. because of the knowledge of the, the people that they work with on a day-to-day basis. It's a great example of what Eve was saying about supervi- supervision actually safeguarding the organisation. Mm. Mm. Sorry, Sarah, you were going to say something. Well, no, I was also going to say there's something in there, in all of those examples that have been shared, which is, is about just having that opportunity to have a mirror held, to reflect back. And I was thinking about the title of Eve's book when you mentioned right at the start that Eve's book is called The Heart of Coaching Supervision, Working with Re- with Reflection and Self-Care. And those two words, and Eve, I'm sure they were intentionally used, um, really stand out for me as I think about all of these examples about providing that space for coaches just to reflect on what is going on, how I feel about it, and kind of deciding on what steps to take as a result. And the danger of not having that support and that place to go is, as you say, safeguards the organisation, but also for the coach themselves. And I think in improves the impact of the organisation. You know, I'm always conscious, whether I'm working internally or externally, that there are many clients. You know, we talk about the client and think sometimes of the individual client, but actually there are many clients to our work. And it's to ensure that there's a wider benefit. And supervision is one of the things that will do that. Because if you choose the right supervisor and you make sure that they are trained and that they um, have got experience, and maybe they've got organisational experience, then those will be things that the supervisor will be bringing to the supervision. So bottom line for me is if you're commissioning coaching and you have a coach there that somebody might be recommending or this is a good person to work with, but basically if they're not in supervision, you're actually, A, I would say, I'm not sure if the coach is that serious, you know, about protecting the coaches in the organisation, but you are not protecting the organisation fully if you're using coaches that don't have supervision. Yep. Um, yeah. One, one thing I, I would add is that some organisations have, have um, chosen to go down the route of coaching registers, as you know. So they have quite detailed processes to recruit coaches. Obviously, this would be external, but I'm just giving you examples. And some of the questions they use when they differentiate between what they believe to be the best coaches and the coaches who they don't select would be the coaches who can answer these questions. So I'm going to read a couple of the questions. Okay. Coaches who can say, I have benefited from coaching supervision and an example of how it has changed my practice is, that's a real question that's used by organisations. And then my clients have benefited from coaching supervision and an example of how they have done so is. And then wider stakeholders have benefited from coaching supervision, an example of this is. And finally, they can say how they've integrated their learning from supervision into their practice with examples. That's brilliant. That's really powerful. Really really good examples uh, for people. And the the other thing, this all sounds very serious, and it, it is a serious topic, but it's also a place where there can be a lot of light, there can be a lot of really generative lovely stuff that happens in supervision it's not all deep ethical questions <laughs> it's, it's a place where a, a coach can go and just truly be themselves and because there's the confidentiality there 
so that they can be vulnerable and in that state they can learn. I don't want people to think it's all deadly serious. Could I make an observation? Well, I was just thinking that you might describe the dance and why we use the dance, because that's one of the times when we can be in hysterics. Oh, well, I remember because I was in a dancing group supervision with Carol. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've done another uh, podcast on uh, systemic coaching and constellations. One of the things that Eve has done in our group coaching is once a one of us have described a case and we're looking at it systemically, there are lots of different players in that case. And so different members of the group will take on the role of those individuals and we will place them in the room and then we we may have to dance. What's the sort of dance that we're doing that really gives some insight? So that's one of your questions, Eve, which is what would the dance be? And when I think about <laughs> that question, I think, well, some some clients it's like a jive, it's very loose, it's very very rapid some clients are coming into coaching and they want to do things the right way so it's like a formal waltz maybe i don't want a really formal waltz. i want something a bit more intimate like an argentine tango yeah from our recollection i'm sure we got into a tango because that was the the theme of the dance that was coming from your observations and it just very easily flowed into that the interpretation of it of what you were saying that makes yeah. it sound like all coaches are fantastic dancers. I, mean, I was going to say, I, was gonna say I, I, think, I wonder whether we ought to just clarify that the reason that we would think about the kind of dance we might be in with our clients is to help us reflect on what's happening between yeah. us. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, thinking about the dance as an analogy, how close are you? Who's taking the lead? Those are, those are real questions that when you think metaphors and analogies are really helpful for mm. getting to a level that's beyond the conscious level. And of course, one of the things in the supervision work, reverting back to what you were saying earlier, Gregor, about somebody reminding of someone, is when we think about that sort of question, it can help us unlock layers of understanding, but we don't have to do it in a heavy way. And that was the point of the dance. Yeah, and the, the other question that, that's really helped with me, which seems abstract, is what animal are they? And so if I'm thinking about somebody as a tiger, well, you know, clearly they're not a tiger, but why am I thinking of them as a tiger? Mm. Now, why, why am I relating to them in that way and I'm not relating to them as if they were a horse? You know, it's, and it's, it's, it seems like it's a, it's a metaphor, but it's a really useful thing to look at. But I think that that, for me, is a reflection of what I've learned through the coaching supervision I've had, is those questions are so powerful that we can use them in supervision when we're together in a group, but we can also use them to reflect ourselves after a coaching session. So we learn to self-supervise as well as to, you know, come together and to have that professional support as well. I'm just wondering, Eve, Carol, have you got any particular tips or insights that you would want to leave our audience with? Carol? I think for me that it that it's important that you have the opportunity to really sort of share your experiences with your coaching in a supportive space. Uh, and so, but equally, I think internal coaches find difficulty with the confidentiality sometimes. So I think it's sort of sometimes seeking out that opportunity just to be able to have that purely confidential space where you can be truly yourself and reflect on what was going on in your coaching session. Uh, and that comes back to me from examples where 
we've had good supervision, but a coach has come up to me afterwards and said, actually, I really didn't want to bring it up with all the people that I know and they would know who I was talking about. So it was it was very suitable for her to sort of take that out and just have it one-to-ones. And to, to really, we celebrated afterwards how she'd actually progressed through a, you know, a difficult circumstance that had come up. Great. I love that. Thank you, Carol. And Eve? I think what I'd say is it's not a one-size-fits-all. I think it's really important people develop, have a, have a place to develop and, and have supervision and also to develop their own internal supervisor, which you alluded to. And that can be done in many ways and it doesn't need to cost lots of money. But I just think it's important because we all have things we don't see. We all have things we don't hear and things we don't say. We know that that's true. We may not say things. We may not challenge a client. Maybe we're scared of not being liked. We just need a place where we can go to share and to have those things teased out of us. But I think Carol's made some really important points about some of the challenges of doing it in an internal situation where perhaps there needs to be, even if it's mostly group supervision, a place where individuals can have some supervision if needed one-to-one on occasion. That's brilliant. Eve, Carol, thank you ever so much for taking the time out to help us with this podcast and share your great knowledge in this area. Thank you very much. It's been very enjoyable as well. Thank Thank you. you very much. Thank you.